The ten new bandits were all men wearing outlandish clothes. They clinked and jangled with a variety of silver accessories. Most unpleasant of all, they were leering at Silica, their gazes lingering. On her body, Silica hid behind Carito's coat, trying to swallow her disgust. She whispered to him, There are too many of them, Carito. We should teleport. It's all right. Keep your crystal ready, but don't use it until I give the command, he said calmly, patted her on the head, then started walking across the bridge. Silica could only stand there. It was crazy. He was going to get himself killed. Carito, she shouted after him. The sound rang out across the field. Carito, muttered one of the bandits. He stopped smiling, his brows crinkling together as he looked around, trying to recall a fragment of information. That outfit, a one-handed sword with no shield, the black swordsman? The man's face turned pale, and he scrambled backward several steps. I, I, I don't think this is such a good idea, Rosalia. He's a beater, one of the old beta testers, and a frontline clearer, too. Boot. The rest of the group froze at that. Silica was just as shocked. She could only stare out at Carito's back, which was hardly very big. She'd had a suspicion from their fights that he was a very high-level player. But she could never have dreamed that he was a clearer one of the top swordsmen or women in the game who took it upon themselves to venture into unexplored labyrinths and beat boss monsters to advance the progress of the game. But she'd heard that clearers only used their strength to push the front line forward and were almost never seen on the mid-level floors. Rosalia looked as stunned as the others, open-mouthed for several seconds, before recovering and shrieking, a clearer would. Never waste his time down here. He's just another one of those cosplay idiots who thinks he can scare us by dressing up as someone more powerful. And even if he is the black swordsman, what can one man do against all of us? Emboldened by her argument, the large axe wielder at the head of the orange players bellowed. Th that's right. If he's a clearer, it means he's got tons of money and items. It just means he's an even juicier target. The rest of the bandits echoed his sentiments, drawing their weapons. The numerous blades glinted wickedly. We can't do this, Carito, we've got to run. Silica pleaded, squeezing her crystal. Rosalia was right, no matter how tough. Carito was, he couldn't beat a dozen opponents. But he didn't. Budge. He didn't even draw his sword. Taking that as a sign of resignation, the nine orange players, aside from Rosalia and a spiky-haired man plunged forward, screeching war cries, their boots pounded on the bridge. Ra! Die! They formed a semicircle around the motionless Carito, hack ing, and jabbing his body with their swords and spears all at once. He wobbled and lurched with the impact of nine weapons. New. No. Silica screamed, covering her face with her hands. Stop. Stop it. He, he's going to die. But of course the men were deaf to her pleas. They were drunk with violence, some laughing maniacally, some jeering insults, but they all continued raining down blows. On Carito. Even Rosalia, who had walked up to the middle of the bridge, wore a look of unbridled glee, sucking on her finger as she took in the slaughter. Silica wiped her tears and gripped the hilt of her dagger. She knew that jumping into the fight would do absolutely nothing, but she couldn't watch it any longer. But just as she was about to leap forward, she noticed something and pulled up short. Carito's HP bar hadn't moved a bit. No, that wasn't quite accurate. The ceaseless blows were doing damage, but only a few tiny pixels were coming off his bar, and every few seconds, it would shoot back to full again. Eventually, the bandits realized that their assault was having no effect and stopped, confused. What are you doing? Hurry up and kill him. 
At Rosalia's irritated order, the rain of blows began anew, but... Again there was no apparent effect. W.H., what's going on with this guy? One of the bandits stumbled backward, his face twisted at the... Sight of something unnatural. The hesitation spread, and the... Other eight eventually stopped attacking and kept their distance. A silence fell upon the bridge. At the center of it, Carrito slowly raised his head. His voice was soft, 400 points in 10 seconds, that's the total damage. The nine of you combined to inflict on me. My level is 78, and I have 14,500 hit points. With my battle recovery skill, I automatically regain 600 points every 10 seconds. You could attack me for hours, and never win. The men looked on in stunned silence. Finally, the greatsword wielder, who seemed to lead the rest of them spoke, voice, gravelly. That, that can't be possible, it's crazy. Exactly, Carrito spat, in reply. But all it takes is an increase in certain numbers to make the crazy possible. That's the inherent unfairness of level-based MMOs at work. His voice, dark with some barely contained emotion, caused the men to falter. The looks on their faces went from shock to fear. Tisk. Rosalia clicked her tongue and grabbed a teleport Christ towel from her waist. She held it high and said, teleport. But before she could finish, the air rippled audibly, and Carito was standing right next to her. Ah! He snatched the crystal out of her tensed fingers, grabbed her collar, and started dragging her back to the other side of the bridge. I'll let me go. What the hell do you think you're doing? Carito silently tossed Rosalia into the midst of the frozen men, then jammed his hand into the pouch on his waist. He pulled out a blue crystal, but it was a much deeper color than the blue of a teleport crystal. This is a corridor crystal, which took all the money my client had. It's set to exit into the prison of Black Iron Palace. You're all going to jail. The army will see to you once you're there. Rosalia bit her lip for several seconds, then spoke up, a confident smirk on her red lips. And if I say no? I'll kill every last one of you. Her smile froze. At least, I'd want to, but in reality, I'll have to use this. Carrito pulled a small dagger out from under his cloak. On. Closer look, it seemed to be coated in some light green substance. It's a paralysis poison. Level 5, so you won't be moving for quite some time. It'll certainly last long enough for me to toss every one of you into the corridor. So there's your choice, walk in, on your own or get thrown in. There was no bravado left in the group. They hung their heads. Silently, so Carito put the dagger away and held up the deep blue crystal. Corridor open. The crystal shattered and a vortex of blue light appeared. Damn it. The tall axe wielder slumped his shoulders and stepped in first. The remaining orange players followed him, some spitting a final curse before they went. The green eavesdropper walked in as well, leaving only Rosalia behind. The red-headed thief still boldly refused to budge, even after all of her companions had disappeared into the portal. She sat cross-legged, glaring up at Carito defiantly. If you're going to do it, do it. But if you attack a green player, you'll be Orin. Before she could finish, Carito grabbed her by the collar again. I'm a solo player, you know. One or two days of being orange. Means nothing to me. And he yanked her up, dragging her toward the gate. Now. Rosalia was struggling, flapping her limbs in vain. W. Wait, stop, stop. Forgive me. Please. I, I know, why don't. We team up? With your skill, we could take down any guild. But she never had the chance to finish. Carito shoved her head first into the corridor, and a few moments after she disappeared, the corridor flashed brighter and winked out of existence. 
a lonely quiet arrived in their wake. The birds twittered and streams burbled as though the Raukhouse confrontation had never happened. But Silica couldn't move. She was filled with conflicting emotions, the shock at Carritos. Identity, the relief that the bandits were gone, and she just couldn't open her mouth. Carrito turned to look at her for several silent moments, then spoke in barely more than a whisper. I'm sorry, Silica. I used you like bait. I was thinking of telling you the truth about me, but I thought you'd be frightened. Silica could only shake her head in vigorous denial. A whirlwind of conflicting feelings was tearing up her insides. I'll take you back to town, he said, starting over the bridge. She called out to his back. I, I can't walk. He turned around, laughing lightly, and offered a hand. Only. When she squeezed it back, did Silica find the strength to smile. Again. They were silent, nearly the entire way back to the weather vane. On the 35th floor. She had plenty of things to say, but Silica. Felt like her throat was stuffed with tiny pebbles. When they reached Carito's room on the second floor, the sun through the window was already red with dusk. When she gazed upon his silhouette, black against the sunset, she finally summoned a trembling voice. Are you really going to leave, Carito? There was silence. Eventually, the silhouette nodded. Yes, I've been away from the front line for five days now. I have to return to clearing the game. Right, of course. What she really wanted to say was, take me with you. But she couldn't. Carito's level was 78. She was level 45. That was a 33 level gap. The distance that separated them was cruelly stark. If Carito took her to where he was fighting, she'd be slaughtered by the first monster they met. The wall that separated them in this game was taller and thicker than any found in the real world. I. Silica bit her lip, trying desperately to hold back the emotions. That threatened to burst out of her. That turned into a pair of tears that trailed down her cheeks. Suddenly, she felt Carito's hands on her shoulders. He whispered to her, calm and low. Level is just a number. The strength we gain here is only in illusion, Silica. There are things much more important to be found. The next time we meet, it'll be in the real world. We can be friends again there. She wanted to throw herself against the black swordsman's chest. Yet Carito's calming words soothed the painful wrenching of her heart somewhat. She told herself that she wouldn't ask for any more than this, and she closed her eyes. Yes. I'm sure we will, I'm sure we will. She stepped back, looked up at him, and was finally able to give him a smile with all of her heart. He grinned in return and said, Come on, let's bring Pina back. Finally. Silica nodded and waved open her main window. She scrolled through her inventory, found Pina's heart, and materialized it. After placing the pale blue feather on top of the table, she produced the Numa flower. Crimson flower in hand, Silica looked up to Carito. Just sprinkle the dew inside the flower, onto the feather. That will bring Pina back. Got it. She gazed at the long blue feather and gave a silent speech. Pina, there are so, so many things to tell you. About my incredible adventure, and the man who saved me, my big brother for a day. And with tears in her eyes, Silica tilted the flower over the feather. Warmth of the heart. 48th floor of Aincrad, June 2024. The workshop was filled with a pleasing sound, the slow turning of a giant water wheel. It was a modestly sized home for a crafter, but the water wheel made it expensive. When I first spotted the house in the initial Rush into Lindarth, the main town of the 48th floor, I thought, this is the one, then I saw the price tag and my jaw dropped. From that point on, I worked myself to the bone, even taking out multiple loans at once. 
In just two months, I raised the three million call I needed. If this were happening in real life, I'd be COV aired in muscles, and my right hand would have thick calluses from swinging a hammer so much. But it was all worth it when I beat out my rivals to purchase the deed, turning this little watermill into Lisbeth's armory. It all happened three months ago, on a chilly day for spring. 1. After a rushed morning coffee, thank goodness this exists in Einkrad, serenaded by the music of the water wheel's rhythmic thumping, I changed into my blacksmith's uniform, inspecting myself in the full-length mirror on the wall. Though I considered it a uniform, it was closer to a waitress outfit than heavy smithing garb. There was a cypress brown top with puffed sleeves and a flared skirt in the same tone. I wore a white apron over that, with a red ribbon on the chest. The outfit wasn't my own design. A friend of mine had arranged it. Another girl, the same age who often visited the shop, to buy equipment. She claimed that heavy clothes didn't suit my baby face, and while I'd originally wanted her to mind her own business, it was true that my business had doubled since I started wearing this. So while it wasn't really my first choice, I'd been using it ever since. Her advice didn't stop at clothes. She fiddled with my hair at every opportunity, it was currently set to an aggressively pink color and a shortcut. Once again, though, the reactions from others suggested that it was working for me. I'm Lisbeth the blacksmith, and I was 15 when I first logged into SAO. People thought I was younger than I looked. Back in the real world, and that pattern only grew more pronounced here. What I saw in the mirror was pink hair, large eyes, with dark blue irises, and a petite nose and mouth that, combined, with the apron dress, made me look like a little doll. I was a serious student in the real world, with little interest in fashion, which only made the dichotomy stronger. Even though I've gotten used to my new look recently, my personality has always been the same. Every once in a while, I can't help but snap at a customer, which always elicits shock. I double-checked my equipment and exited the store, flipping over the closed sign. I flashed the players waiting for entrance a dazzling smile and said, Good morning, and welcome. This was another thing I'd only recently gotten used to doing. It had always been a dream of mine to run my own business, but even inside a video game, dreams and reality are very different and beasts. I'd had more than enough experience with the difficulty of meeting customer demand from the moment I started. Selling in the street and living out of an in-bedroom. My first lesson, if you're not good at smiling, make up for it. With quality. In retrospect, the decision to focus on raising my weapon crafting skill at the expense of everything else was a wise one, as many of my repeat customers vouched for the quality of my weapons, even after I moved into my permanent storefront. After I greeted all the customers, I left the business and up to my NPC employee, and retreated into the workshop behind the storefront. I had about 10 orders for custom equipment that needed to be fulfilled within the day. Pulling the lever on the wall activated the bellows hooked up to the water wheel. That sent air into the furnace and set the grindstone spinning. I pulled an expensive metal ingot out of my inventory and tossed it into the burning furnace. Once it had absorbed enough heat, I pulled it out with tongs and set it atop the anvil. I got down on one knee, favorite hammer in hand, and Essie lecked the item to be produced from a pop-up menu. After a specified number of wax with the hammer, the metal would turn into the desired item. There wasn't really any technique to it, the quality of the finished weapon would vary at random, but I chose to believe that the concentration of the blacksmith during the process affected the result. So I focused all my nerves on the ingot. As I slowly raised the hammer, just as I was about to strike the very first blow. Morning, Liz. Ah. The door of the workshop slammed open and my swing went wide.
Instead of the ingot, I hit the corner of the anvil. Sparks flew everywhere as a pathetic clang echoed throughout the room. I looked up to see the surprise intruder scratching her head and sticking out her tongue in guilty embarrassment. Sorry. I'll be more careful about that. How many times have I heard that one before? At least it happened before I actually started working on anything this time. I stood up with a sigh and tossed the metal back into the furnace. Turning around with my hands on my hips, I looked up at my visitor, who was just a bit taller than me. Good morning, Asuna. Asuna the fencer was a good friend and loyal customer. She wound her way through the now familiar workshop and plopped into a round chair of unfinished wood, then flicked her shoulder-length chestnut hair with her fingertips. Every motion was as pristine as a movie star's, and despite having known her for many months, I couldn't help but admire her grace each and every time. I sat myself in the chair next to the anvil and hung my ham mare on the wall. So what's happening today? You're here early. Oh, I need this done. She pulled the rapier off her belt, scabbard and all, and tossed it to me. I caught it one-handed and drew it out enough to check the blade. Its typical sheen was dulled with use, but the edge was still sharp. This isn't that bad at all. Seems a bit early to have it sharpened. Yeah, I know, but I want it to be shiny. Oh? I looked at Asuna again. She was wearing the same old knight's uniform of white with red crosses and a miniskirt, but her boots looked shiny and new, and there were small silver earrings sparkling in her ears. Okay, something's weird. This is a normal weekday. What? Happened to your mandated guild activity quota? I thought you said progress was slow on the 63rd floor. She smiled shyly at my question. Actually, I got the day off. I'm going to meet someone after this. Oh? I dragged the chair several clattering steps closer to Asuna. Tell me more. Who are you meeting? I it's a secret, she stammered, blushing slightly. I folded my arms and nodded. I see, no wonder you've been so cheerful lately. You finally found a boyfriend. Th that's not it at all. Now her face was really red. She coughed and gave me a sidelong glance. Am I really that different from normal? Of course. When I first met you, all you cared about was labyrinths this, conquest that. I thought you were a bit obsessed, honestly, but you've changed since the spring. I mean, I could never imagine you skipping out on your game clearing on a weekday before. I see, maybe he is rubbing off on me. So who is it, someone I know? I don't, think so, but maybe? Bring him next time. I swear, it's not like that. I mean, it's totally one-sided. Really? This time I was truly stunned. Asuna was the subleader of the strongest guild in the game, the Knights of the Blood, and one of the most beautiful women in Aincrad. There were as many men who courted her as stars in the sky, but I'd never imagined the opposite would happen. I don't know. He's very strange, she said, gazing into the distance. A slight smile played across her lips. If this were a manga, for girls, there would be an explosion of roses in the background. It's really hard to get a handle on him. It's like he goes to the beat of his own drum, but he's incredibly powerful. Oh? More than you? Way more. I wouldn't last for a minute in a head-to-head. -head. Duel. Well, well. This narrows down the list of names. I consulted my mental registry of famous clearers, Wallasuna. Hastily waved her hands. Why you don't have to guess? In that case, I'll just have to look forward to the day you show. Him to me. Feel free to put in a good word about me if he has any. Weapons needs. You're always looking out for your business, Liz. I'll tell him. About your work, oh, crap. 
Can you sharpen that now? Sure thing. Just give me a second. I stood up with Asuna's rapier in hand and walked over to the grindstone in the corner of the room. The thin blade was housed in a red scabbard. It was a rapier. Named Lambent Light and was among the greatest of all the weapons I'd handled in SAO. Even with the finest materials, the finest hammer, and the finest anvil I could find, the random tour of the crafting process ensured a range of potential quality. If I was lucky, I might craft a blade this fine once every three months. I cradled the sword with both hands and lowered it to the slowly spinning grindstone. There was no real technique to sharpening a weapon, you simply held it to the stone long. Enough for the process to finish, but a masterpiece of this quality demanded to be handled with proper respect. I slid the blade carefully across the stone from hilt to tip. The process produced a cool metallic noise and orange sparks, and the silver metal began to regain its former gleam. By the time I was finished honing it, the rapier was practically a translucent silver, glittering in the morning sunlight. I popped the weapon into its sheath and tossed it back to Asuna, then caught between my fingertips the hundred-call coin. That came flying back. Thanks, come again. Next time I'll need you to do my armor, too. But I'm in a rush. Today, so this is all for now. Asuna stood up and hung the rapier. From her sword belt. Now I'm really curious. Maybe I should tag along. What? And no. Ha ha ha, I'm just kidding. But you'll bring him here sometime, won't you? As sometime. Asuna waved and darted out of the workshop as though flee ing. I heaved a sigh and sat back in my chair. Lucky. I was surprised at the word that escaped my lips. I wasn't really one for moping. In the year and a half I'd spent. Here, I'd poured all of my enthusiasm into building this business. Out of nothing, but now that I'd practically mastered my blacksmithing skill and set up my own shop, I was running out of personal goals and found myself lonely from time to time. There are few girls in Aincrad, so I've received my share of suitors, but I never felt in the mood. I'd rather have someone who I loved myself. In that sense, I was jealous of Asuna. If only some kind of wonderful matchmaking event happened. For me, too, I muttered, then shook my head to clear it. I stood up and retrieved the glowing red ingot from the furnace, placing it back on the anvil. This is the only lover I need for now, I told myself as I swung the hammer down. Normally the rhythmic clanging echoing throughout the workshop cleared my head, but today it couldn't get rid of the cobwebs. It was the next afternoon that the man came to my shop. I'd stayed up too late trying to finish up all my orders the previous day, so I was napping in the large rocking chair on the porch of the store. The dream was about elementary school. I was a good, hard-working student, but I always felt drowsy in the first class after lunch, and the teacher often had to snap me awake. That teacher was a favorite of mine, a young man fresh out of college. I was embarrassed to be scolded for sleeping, but I kind of liked the way he woke me up. He'd place a gentle hand on my shoulder and in a low, calm voice. Uh, hey. Why yes. I'm sorry. Whoa. I bolted upright as though on springs and shouted, only to find. Standing before me a male player with a startled expression on. His face. Huh. I looked around. It wasn't my classroom, packed with rows of. Desks. There was only a road lined with trees, a waterway surrounding the wide stone path, and a lawn of grass. It was Lynn Darth, my second home apparently I'd drifted off to sleep for the first time in ages. I coughed to hide my embarrassment and turned to my potential. Customer. W. Welcome to my store. Is there a particular weapon you're looking for today? Uh, why yeah, he replied, nodding. At a glance, he didn't seem that powerful. He might have been. 
slightly older than me. He had black hair and a monochrome outfit of a black shirt, black pants, black boots. A single sword was slung over his back. The weapons I sold required high attributes to wield, and I was concerned that he didn't have a high enough level to wield them, but I showed him in any way. My one-handed swords are over in this case. I showed him the display containing all my pre-made models, but he smiled awkwardly and cut me off. Air, actually, I'm looking to do a custom order. Now I was really worried. Made-to-order weapons was special. Materials were exorbitantly priced. He was looking at a six-digit. Cost, at least. I never liked seeing people turn red or white after I showed them what their orders would cost, so I tried to head him, off before we reached that uncomfortable point. The market for metals is rather pricey these days, so it will be a considerable cost, I began, but I was shocked by what the man in. Black said next. Don't worry about the budget. I just want the best sword you can possibly make. I stared at him, stunned, but somehow or another managed to find my voice again. All right, but I need to know what properties, what stats you're looking for. My tone had lost a bit of its civility, but he didn't seem to mind. Oh, good point. In that case, he pulled the sword harness off his back entirely and handed it to me. How about something at least as good as this? It didn't look all that fancy. It had a black leather hilt and a scabbard of the same color. But the instant I held it in my hand, it's so heavy. I nearly dropped the blade. This thing must have required a phenomenal amount of strength. As a blacksmith and mace wielder, I'd built my strength stat up fairly high, but there was no way even I could swing this sword. I pulled it out of the scabbard with hesitation and found a thick, meaty blade nearly black in color. One look told me this was an extremely well-crafted weapon. I clicked the blade with a fingertip to bring up a menu. Category, longsword slash one-handed, name, elucidator. There was nothing listed in the crafted by field. A fellow player had not created this. The weapons of Aincrad fall into two large categories. One is the player-made weapons created by blacksmiths. Within the game. The other is monster drops, weapons earned. Through adventuring. As you might imagine, we smiths don't think much of dropped weapons. Some of us even use the terms of brand or generic to describe them. But this was clearly very rare, even among dropped loot. Nor dash. Mally, player-made weapons were higher in average quality then. Those dropped by enemies, but every once in a while, you found a truly monstrous blade among them, or so I heard. At any rate, this had certainly gotten my competitive juices. Flowing. If I was a master smith, I couldn't afford to be shown up. By a stupid looted item. I handed the heavy sword back to him, then pulled down the single longsword I had on display on the back wall. It was my greatest masterpiece to date, forged about two weeks earlier. The blade glowed a dull red, as though rippling with a gentle flame. This is my best sword so far. I doubt it's inferior to yours. He took my crimson blade and swished it about in the air, then tilted his head in puzzlement. A bit on the light side. Well, the metal I used is meant for speed. Hmm. He swung it a few more times, clearly unsure of it, then turned. His gaze on me. Can I test it out? Test it. The durability. He pulled out his own sword, then laid it flat on the shop. Counter. Standing still over it, he slowly lifted my glowing red. Blade. I hurriedly called out when I realized what he was about to do. W. Wait, don't. If you do that, you'll break your sword in. Two. And that'll prove it's inferior. If it happens, it happens. But. I swallowed my protest. There was a sharp light in his eyes as. He held the blade overhead. The red sword suddenly glowed with. 
A pale blue visual effect. Saya. He brought it down with a flash. Before I could blink, sword. Met sword, and the shop rattled with the shock. The explosion of. Light was so fierce, I had to narrow my eyes and take a step back. The blade split cleanly down the middle and burst into pieces. Not his sword. My masterpiece. Aakak. I screamed and leaped onto his arm, wrenching the lower half of the sword away from him and scrambling about for the pieces. There's no fixing this. I slumped my shoulders in despair, and a moment later, the half-sword in my hand burst into polygons and vanished. After several seconds of silence, I looked up. What? I snarled as I grabbed the collar of his shirt, the hell. Was that? You can't just go around breaking people's stuff. He jerked his face away in panic. Eh, sorry. I didn't think the sword I was holding would break. I snapped. Meaning my sword was even weaker than you thought it would be? Huh? Uh, um, well, yes. You admit it. You've got some nerve. I put my hands on my hips and leaned forward. W.L., I'll have you know that if I get the right materials, I can make a sword that will crush your stupid sword like an insignificant twig. Oh? He grinned at the bravado. Well, that's the one I want, then. A sword that will snap mine like a twig. He grabbed the black sword off the counter and sheathed it. Now the blood was truly rushing to my head. Well, if we're really doing this, I'll be involved in every step. Starting with retrieving the medals. My brain was screaming at me to stop, but it was too late now. His eyebrows rose, and he cast an openly appraising gaze at me. Well, I don't mind. But wouldn't it be better if I got them myself? I don't want anyone dragging me down. Arg. Could anyone be more irritating? I waved my arms wildly, stomping like a child having a tantrum. D don't you dare humiliate me. I'm a master weapons crafter, I'll have you know. You are? He whistled, clearly enjoying himself. In that case, I ought to observe a master at work. I'll start by paying you for the last sword. I don't need your sympathy. Once I make one better than yours, I'll make sure you pay through the nose for it. And I'll do it gladly. My name's Carito. Nice to meet you, at least until this sword is finished. I folded my arms and turned my head in a huff. Likewise, Carito. Really? Not even a mister. Fine, Lisbeth. Arg. It was the worst possible way to form a new party. It was just ten days prior that word of the mysterious metal spread throughout the blacksmiths of SAO. Reaching the top floor of Aincrad was the grand quest, the ultimate goal of all, but there was an unlimited array of other Quests to be undertaken, big and small. NPCs needed errands. Run, or protective detail, or certain items tracked down, but the rewards were never more than middling, and once an individual quest was finished, there was a cooldown period before it was available again. On top of that, some quests could only ever be completed once, by a single person, and everyone was on the Look out for those. One such unique quest was spotted in a small village tucked. Away in a corner of the 55th floor. According to the bearded. Old chieftain, a white dragon dwelt in the mountains to the west. The dragon fed on crystals, which coalesced into a valuable metal. Or within its belly. It was obviously a quest to obtain weapon crafting materials. Eager players formed a large raiding party and easily vanquished the dragon in its mountain lair, but nothing came of it. The beast dropped a paltry sum of kernel and a few weak loot items, not even enough to pay for the potions and healing crystals used in the battle. The next assumption was that the metal must be a random drop, so numerous parties approached the elder to initiate the quest and vanquish the dragon in turn. But again, nothing. After a week, white dragons had been slain in the dozens, but no one ever came away with the elusive prize.
the eventual consensus was that there must be some hidden condition that no one had yet successfully met during the quest. The man named Carito nodded, cross-legged in the workshop chair, sipping on the tea I'd reluctantly made for him. I've heard that story, too. It's supposed to be quite a promise ING material for crafting. But no one's been able to get their hands on it, right? What makes you think we can just waltz in and SUC seed where everyone else has failed? Some people are guessing that it won't appear unless there's a master smith in the party. And very few blacksmiths bother to raise their combat skills. I see. Maybe that's worth trying, then. Well, we should get going. I was slack-jawed in disbelief. I can't believe you've survived with that attitude. We're not going goblin hunting, you know. And we'll need a full party too. But what if we actually get the stuff and then have to draw straws to see who gets it? Which floor did you say the dragons? On? The 55th. Hmm, well, I can probably handle it on my own. You just hide where it's safe. You're either very, very good or very, very stupid. But all. Right, you're on. I suppose it'll be worth watching you cry and teleport out to safety. Carito only snorted confidently, then downed the rest of his tea and set the cup on the workbench. Well, I'm ready to go whenever you are. Lisbeth? Look, if you're going to be so buddy-buddy, just call me Liz. The Dragon's Mountain isn't supposed to be that big, and I hear. It's short enough that you can do it and come back within the day, so I'll be ready in a minute. I opened my window and equipped some simple armor over. My apron dress. My trusty mace was in my item screen, safe and sound, and I had an adequate supply of crystals and potions. When my screens were closed and I gave the okay sign, Carito stood up. We headed out the storefront, fortunately, there were no waiting customers. I flipped the sign on the door to read. Closed. The light streaming onto the porch from the outer perimeter of Aincrad was still bright. There was plenty of time until nightfall. Whether we succeeded or failed at acquiring the precious metal, and it would certainly be the latter, at least I'd be back. Before too late in the day. Or so I thought. As we left the shop and headed for the teleport square, I couldn't help but wonder, what in the world have I gotten myself into? I didn't think much of the black-clad man, strolling nonchalantly beside me. At least, I didn't think I did. His bold statements irritated me, he was grandiose and overconfident, and he'd smashed my greatest masterpiece to bits. Yet here I was, walking next to him. Not only that, I'd agreed to be in his party and go questing on a distant floor. In fact, as far as life in Aincrad was concerned, this might as well be a duh. Better force that thought straight out of my mind. This had never happened before. I was reasonably friendly with a few male players, but I always had my reasons to avoid spending time with them alone. I was afraid of crossing that line with any specific man. I always told myself that if I was going to do it, it had to be with someone I knew I loved. But now I was here, walking with this strange guy. How had it come to this? Oblivious to my inner turmoil, Carito noticed a food cart at the side of the teleport square and rushed over to it. When he turned around again, there was a large hot dog stuffed in his mouth. Womp fum, whiff beff? My anxiety instantly vanished. Worrying about this seemed pointless. Sure. And before the heavy aftertaste of the crispy hot dog, Technicali, a mystery food that only loosely resembled one, had left my mouth, we finally came to stand in the tiny village on the north end of the 55th floor. The monsters along the way were no big deal. Considering that the current frontier was the 63rd floor, the foes here should have been worrisome. But my level was in the mid-60s, and for all his bluster, 
Carito was pretty tough himself, and we made it through a handful of encounters with hardly any damage. My only mistake was not realizing this floor had an ice theme. BWHU. The instant we stepped into the safe zone of the village and I let down my guard, a massive sneeze exploded from my nose. The other floors were in early summer, but here there was snow piled on the ground and large icicles hanging from the roofs. As I stood shivering in the bone-chilling cold, Carito looked on. In exasperation. Don't you have any extra clothes? No. Despite not being outfitted for winter weather himself, Carito fiddled with his menu, materialized a large black leather coat, and tossed it over my head. Are you going to be able to handle the cold yourself? Unlike you, I've got willpower. He was so obnoxious. But the fur-lined coat was indeed warm, and I could not resist its comforting embrace. The chill, desap paired at once, and I sighed in relief. Well, which house do you suppose is the chief's? Carido. Asked. I looked around the small village and spotted one building. Across the way that had a higher roof than the others. Is that it? Looks like it. We nodded and set off. Several minutes later, our suspicions correct, we'd found the NPC chieftain, outfitted with an impressive white beard, and heard his story. Unfortunately, the story began with the rigors of his childhood, proceeding through adolescence and adulthood, until his twilight years, stopping for a brief non-sequitur, to remark that, why yes, there was a dragon on the mountain to the west. By the time he reached that crucial detail, the village outside was wreathed in twilight. We left the chief's house, exhausted. The setting sun lit the blanket of snow adorning all the buildings orange, a truly beautiful sight. But I really didn't think getting the quest started was going to take so long. Seriously, what should we do? Come back tomorrow? We traded glances. But he did say that the dragon was nocturnal. That's the mountain over there, right? I looked where he was pointing and saw a treacherous, white-capped peak not too far in the distance. Of course, due to the absolute physical limitations of each floor of Aincrad, the peak could not be more than a hundred meters tall. It wouldn't be all that difficult to scale. All right, let's go. Besides, I'd rather not wait to see you blub bearing with fear. On the contrary, try not to have your mind blown by my Graceful sword work. We turned our faces away from each other with simultaneous. Huff s. But for some reason, our constant trading of insults was starting to excite me. I shook my head to clear my mind of that pointless thought. And started stalking my way through the heavy snow. Although the mountain appeared steep from a distance, once we actually got there, we had little trouble reaching the top. In retrospect, countless parties had scaled the mountain in the course of attempting the quest, so it should have been obvious that it wasn't very grueling. Perhaps because of the time of day, the toughest monsters we ran across were frost bones, an ice-type skeleton, but skeletons were the perfect target for my crushing mace. The undead foes fell apart with a satisfying clatter as I pounded them left and right. After climbing for most of an hour, we saw the peak right as we circled around a particularly tall protrusion of ice. The roof of the next floor up was just above our heads. All around us, massive pillars of crystal jutted out from underneath. Piles of snow. The last remains of purple light refracting into rainbows through the crystals was spectacular. Wow. I couldn't help but marvel and wonder but Carito grabbed my collar from behind. Whack. What was that for? Get ready to use your teleport crystal, if necessary. The look on his face was serious. I nodded automatically and materialized the crystal from my inventory, placing it in my apron. Pocket. I'll handle it from here on out, this will be dangerous. When? The dragon shows up, stay behind one of those giant crystals. 
and don't come out. What's the problem? I'm actually fairly high level. I can fight. No. His black pupil stared straight into me, and in that instant I understood that he was saying it for my sake. I held my breath and nodded. He flashed me a quick grin and placed a hand on my head before saying, okay, let's go. All I could do was give him another nod. It suddenly felt as though the air itself had changed color. I'd come here with Carito either in search of a change of pace or out of simple reckless abandon, but I hadn't honestly considered that I was getting myself into a battle of life and death. Well over half the experience I'd gained in the course of level ING up was from crafting equipment, and I'd never been in a deadly battle. But I could tell that Carito was different. He had the eyes of someone who put his life in the balance each and every day. Trying to bring order to the emotions, tearing me in different directions, I walked behind him to the center of the mountaintop. A quick look around showed no dragon yet. Instead, sitting in the space between the ring of crystal pillars was whoa, an enormous hole. It had to be at least 30 feet across. The sides of the hole were glittering with slick ice, and they seemed to extend vertically into nothingness. It was too dark to see the bot Tom. Wow, that's deep. Carito kicked a small piece of ice over the edge. I saw it flash as it fell into the abyss, but no sound came back. Don't fall in. I'm not going to fall. I retorted. In the next instant, a bird-like screech rattled against the mountaintop, ripping through the air. Died with the final strains of navy light. Get in the shadows. Carito commanded, pointing to a large nearby crystal. I hurried to obey his command, turning to his back as I ran. The, uh, the dragon's attack pattern is, claws, from left, and right, ice breath, then a wind gale. Be be careful. I hurriedly tacked on that last part. Still facing away from me, Carito waved his left fist, the thumb boldly extended. At nearly the same moment, the air before him rippled, a giant shape ooze ing out of the air. Roughly rendered clumps of polygons materialized one after the other. As they connected together and grew more detailed, a giant body took shape and unleashed another massive, rattling roar. Countless tiny pieces flew in all directions, glittering as they evaporated into nothingness. The white dragon scale shimmered like ice. It beat its inner mouse wings smoothly, hovering in the air. All in all, it was even more beautiful than it was terrifying. Its large, ruby-like eyes glared down at us from above. Carito calmly reached behind his back, loudly drawing his ebony sword. As though that were the signal to begin, the dragon opened its jaws wide and unleashed a blast of white with a roar ing sound effect. Watch out, that's its breath attack. I screamed, but Carito did.